0: Before I get into the sermon, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. Um, one is, if, if you volunteer, thank you. Thank you so much for volunteering. If you uh, run into a snag volunteering, meaning like, oh, yeah, it's still middle summer and I forgot about this or that, and, and you can't uh, show up for whatever your volunteer slot is, we just want to remind you, find a sub. Don't just ghost us. Don't just show up. Find a sub. And if you can't find somebody else on your team to help cover for you, then contact the ministry team leader or the office, and, and we will help you uh, in that. Uh, and then two other things uh, coming up. Uh, one is next Sunday, um, we are going to have um, a couple here to talk to us after, uh, briefly during the service, but then after the service, stay for a Q&A on um, fostering and adoption, uh, adoption and foster care. And then the following Sunday, so that would be the 7th of August, the following Sunday, August 14th, we're going to have the report from the Bailey's mission team after the service as as a report, and then you can ask questions and stuff like that. So during that time when we would normally have Sunday school, because during the summer we have taken a break and are not having Sunday school, it will start again uh, coming in later in August. Uh, And of course today you already heard there's the congregational meeting. Um, so members, we really want you to be here. You may be thinking, what if I'm not a member? Can I come to that? Yes, come. You can come and listen and find out what's going on. Um, we don't have anything to hide from you, so yeah, come on. Um, all right, with that said, uh, and like Jake said, you know, loaves and fishes. Um, so, uh, but with that said, let's, uh, let's, uh, continue the series we're doing in Proverbs, um, the gospel according to Proverbs, Today, uh, I want you to look at this uh, slide and see if you can fill in the blank for me. Go to that next slide. Yes, right there. For the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the what? You know what that says? We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Does that sound familiar to you? It's the last sentence of the Declaration of Independence. All right, let's fill in the blank. What does it say? Click the next slide for us. Protection of divine providence. Divine providence. It's an interesting word, right? And um, The Second Continental Congress recognized when they were uh, affirming the Declaration of Independence that they were not acting outside of the sovereign rule of God and that, in fact, they were relying on God To not be absent, to not be silent with them in their endeavor, but they were trusting that in his providence that what they were undertaking might work out. So they had grand plans, but they were hopefully reliant on God for its work. My goal to you today is not to talk about our nation and the Declaration of Independence, but to talk to you about the providence of God. And even as we read those words, I wonder, did they have some understanding of Proverbs 16? And I don't know that answer. I know that there were ministers that signed that declaration. But, uh, but I do want us to look at Proverbs 16 so we have knowledge of Proverbs 16. So follow along with me if you would. Proverbs 16, let's think about man's plans and God's providence. The first nine verses. This is the word of God. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways that... Of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his, establishes his steps. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will bless the reading of your word this morning, which is true and relevant today, and even though The flowers of the field fade. Your word, you tell us, stands forever. So use it today to shape our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When the mission team arrived in Belize a couple of weeks ago, we got on a bus that was an old bus, an old school bus, with broken windows, some that would not go down, no A.C., um, which is pretty normal, I guess, and, um, and then some shattered glass in places where rocks had hit it or whatever. Um, and we ar- rode a couple hours, arrived at the place that we were to stay, this church. They said, okay, here you go. We unloaded, got all our stuff out of the bus, went into this church building, set up our little tent city on the concrete floor in there with our mosquito nets, ready to go. And then we went outside under a mango tree and we were sitting there just chatting. Three American girls walk up. And they're like, hey, how are you guys doing? And we're like, good. And they're like, we're with Experience Mission, which was the organization we went with. They were part of an immersion program, meaning they were living there for like three months and they were living in houses in that, in that community there. And they knew we were a new team arriving. So they came to see us and they're like, oh, we're so excited. So where are you guys going to be working? We don't know. Well, what are you doing kids club? Uh, We don't know. Well, where are you doing that? We don't know. What are you having for dinner? We don't know. Like literally, we knew nothing. We got dropped off, and that was the extent of the plan. Okay, we're here, and we're waiting for people like, tell us what to do. We want to do something. For some people, that, um, that would be Fine, you know, if you're a procrastinator type, if you're a maverick type, fly by the seat of your pants, mock two and hair on fire. Like, you're like, that's fine, let's go with it. If you're like the person who's got to make plans to make your plans, you're pulling your hair out. Whichever kind of person you are, the simple fact is, you make plans. We all do. Your plan might be where you're going to go fishing. It might be a strategic plan for your business. Whatever it is, we all make plans, big or small. And one of the challenges in life is when we make our plans, how do we respond when those plans don't go the way that we expected them to go? Then what? When inflation comes, when your job's in question, when your health isn't going the way you hoped it would, when your kids aren't behaving the way you want them to. When your plans that you're putting together don't quite go the way you want, how do you respond? Probably in a variety of ways, but usually that response entails something of frustration, right? Because you had a certain expectation, and it's not being met, and so you're frustrated. And one of the things that's interesting about that is our plans reveal something about how much control we think we have, or at least we want to have, And it strips that away from us and says, you're not in control as much as you think you are. It's a great reminder to us that while God has given us great responsibility to do things like make plans, he also wants us to rely on him. And that's what we see here in this verses that we read, right? We see that the providence of God superintends your plans. The ever-watching eye of God is upon you. You cannot get out away from that. You can't escape it. Your plans are not outside his plan. And that probably raises more questions like, well, why do my plans not go as I hoped? Is God against me? Why do the plans of wicked people prosper? All kinds of questions. Many questions which we can't answer all of today. But let's start with looking at the plans of the wicked. And then let's look at the plans of the righteous and see how the providence of God superintends all of that, I hope. The plans of the wicked. In verses 4 and 5, uh, in, this, in chapter 16 there, talk about the wicked. And, but, and I'm not going to read those to you right now, but that's where it talks about it. As it starts out, it goes and it says, well, even the wicked, um, it talks about uh, there's a day of trouble for them. One of the things I want you to understand is that that, Plans that seem to go well are still fleeting, whether they're good or bad, right? Look at Psalm 146 with me, verses 3 and 4. We can put that on the screen. Here's what, what the psalmist writes. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Right? The plans ended with that person, with that, with that prince, that ruler, whoever it was, and then he's gone and his plans are gone. Plans are fleeting. The plans of the wicked even are fleeting. Now you may be thinking, okay, maybe the plans of the wicked are fleeting, but it still seems like they enjoy some good times in the moment, in the here and now, right now. And I guess in a way we could say that might be true. We even know that that can be tempting, right? Like, what does it matter what I do? It seems like no matter what people do, they get away with it. They enjoy the good life, right? Prosperity. The plans of the wicked sometimes seem prosperous. Sometimes it seems like they have no worries in life. The psalmist wrote about those again, too, in the temptation of that in Psalm 73. And I want you to look at these verses with me, the first three verses of this psalm. Notice what he says. He starts out, truly God is good to Israel, right? Here's his affirmation to those who are pure in heart. God is good. We know that. And then he says, confession time. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on for like 10 verses just listing all the ways the wicked seem to be carefree and successful. It's like, what? Why? Why Why do I do what I do? But it all comes into clarity and into focus in verses 17 and 18. When he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin." What he's saying is, he's saying that, look, I see, yes, the prosperity of the wicked, but it is not final. In fact, their destiny is not prosperous, but it's ruinous. And this brings us back to Proverbs 16, verses 4 and 5. Let's put those verses on the screen now. It says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. What is being said here in this wisdom passage is saying, even if the wicked seem like they get away with everything, God will execute justice. Those who are arrogant and full of pride, without humility, regard for God, like, like Pastor Fletcher spoke about last week in Pride, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. God will execute justice. I think sometimes we, in our modern culture, just want to, like, push God to the sides and escape God, not have to deal with them, and kind of just be like, maybe if I need God, um, and especially for the wicked, have no care of God, right? Maybe they kind of regard God like C.S. Lewis wrote about in the problem of pain when he says this, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. But the truth is, you have to use it. You need God. You can't escape God. You are under his providential care, under his watch. You have to deal with God. The best of your plans, the best of your plans to make the most money, to have the most security, to have the longest and healthiest life, cannot remove you from being under the providence of God. And God can remove your plans and change your plans. He can crumple your plans in a heartbeat. He can require the life he gave to you at any moment. Are you ready for that? So the plans of the wicked might seem prosperous, but they're fleeting and they have to face the judgment of God. Let's look at the plans of the righteous. The plans of the righteous we see um, have a few different characteristics to them. One is that they have to be moral. And in the first three verses of Proverbs 16, we see this. So let's put those back on the screen for me, if you would. I want you to notice how the morality is described here. Um, notice in verse 1, the thoughts. That is, the plans of the heart. That, that word planning, it's about thinking, it's, it's your plan, it's your, your purpose, your aim. It's your thoughts, right? And so you have thoughts, but okay, but God's going to give an answer. In the second verse, The ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Right Now now we're talking about motives. What's behind it? What's your intent? What's your desire here? And then in the third verse, it goes to actions. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Right. So what he's saying is, in all the plans that you're doing, be upright and moral about them. In your thoughts, that is your purpose, your aim, and your motives, your reasoning for it, And in the actions, in the manner in which you carry it out. Now that's important because it means that things like we say today don't necessarily fit this. Hey, you do you as long as it makes you happy. Well, is the purpose in it good? Is the motive pure for the glory of God, good of others, good of yourself? And are the actions and the manners you go about it good and helpful? You see, that's a much fuller ethic than simply... Eh, If it doesn't hurt anybody and you like it, do it. It's a very different ethic. God's morality goes to a higher standard because it must honor God. Or the other ethic is, yeah, just do whatever the end justifies the means. No, it doesn't. The end does not justify the means. Just because it might be a good end doesn't mean you can do it in whichever way you want. You might think, I know the truth and you can speak with the power of a prophet, but if you do that in a way that is not kind and not self-controlled... Then you're not living out the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So, just because you have something that might be truthful to say, doesn't mean the manner in which you say it can be carefree and regardless for others' existence. And that can be extrapolated out into many ways. What the wisdom that we're being told here in Proverbs 16 is like morality matters. But also, a really important thing to understand is that you and I, in our morality, while we might aim for that, even as Jeremy is reminding us, like to aim, to pray that our heart would be that way, it's very difficult to do in all three of those ways, with our thoughts and our, in our motives and in our actions. And so one of the things that we desperately need is to be shaped by the atonement. Our, the wisdom of our plans needs to be shaped by the atonement. We see this in verse 6. Notice what it says here. It says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Okay? Good. How steadfast and how faithful do you have to be for iniquity to be atoned for? Some? Occasionally? Nine out of a scale of ten? I think it's perfect. I think you've got to do it all the time, every time. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's what is right. For sin to be covered up, iniquity atoned for, it's got to be, there can't be any of it. So what, is, what does he mean here? What is he saying? How are you supposed to do that? The answer to that is I don't think you can. It is, the statement is true. The statement is exactly, precisely true. It's the word of God. That steadfast love and faithfulness um, through them iniquity is atoned for. But it's not your steadfast love and faithfulness. It is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. We know this because in Proverbs 3, which I preached on a few weeks ago, uses the same language, and he talks about that, and we looked at that in understanding of wisdom and the steadfast love... Lo- excuse me, steadfast love and faithfulness of God, and how we go back and look at that where it occurs in the Bible, back in Exodus, when God is coming to Moses after the people have been idolatrous and run away and made a golden calf, and he says, I am the Lord, steadfast and faithful, keeping my covenant to thousands of generations. It's the way God talks about himself It is God who is steadfast and faithful and it is through Him and His providence in providing the sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ that iniquity is atoned for. That's what we need. Hallelujah. Amen to that, right? We need that. If we don't have any of that, then all the other morals we talked about are just condemning to you because you're like, I can't do that. And so that's what we need. We need that grace, that mercy of God. Now the second half of verse uh, 6 is also important because it says, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now here we're, we're seeing the second part of this. Okay, what happens if you have received this forgiveness? It should shape you so that you then follow God in his ways. That becomes your new desire. It's what you want to do. So do you pray, yes, Lord, shape me in that way. Make me more pure like you. You see, it's mercy that becomes the catalyst for morality. Because God has been good to you, you're saying, okay God, I will now work and walk to follow in your ways. And you won't be able to do it perfectly, though you will be able to do it. But you have God covering you. Your iniquity, your sin is atoned for because of Christ. The other thing in this verse that I want to point out is, in this chapter, is verses 7 and 8. And when we talk about the plans that we are to make, they should be moral plans, they should be shaped by the atonement, and they should work to bring about shalom. In verse 7 here, it talks about uh, God making even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's the the verb form shalom of the noun shalom. Shalom, that that Hebrew Jewish word, right, has the idea of not just peace, like be at peace, but but the peace and the reconciling of all things. The ordering of God's world so that it works the way that He wants it to work. And you see right here in the heart of Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs that God is giving to us is saying, yes, morality is important, but not everybody will be that way. The wicked will suffer for it, but guess what? You can find atonement. And when you do, that mercy should now shape and be a catalyst for your morality and you should then become agents of peace, agents of shalom, working to bring my reconciliation to the world. That's what your plans ought to aim for. Those are the plans that God is working through. And so whatever your plan is, think about that. How do I find joy because God has forgiven me? How will I work to bring about shalom and peace and reconciliation in the world where there's brokenness and sin, where misery abounds? whether that's because of poverty, incarceration, abuse, homelessness, rebellious kids that don't want to listen to you, wherever it is, how will you bring that shalom to it? It gives an example, a couple of examples, I guess. You know, it says, bring shalom, and in verse 8, it says, well, here's one way you do that. Your attitude to money is to have An attitude where it's better to have less with righteousness than to have great revenues with injustice. Right? Why? Because it matters. Because the way we approach that helps shape shalom. And if we're going about injustice in order to make money, we're not bringing shalom and peace. So make wise plans according to God's morals. You should. Let it be shaped by the atonement And be for shalom. But still, what about when my plans fall apart? What about when they fail? When injury or illness comes upon you? When financial hardship arrives at your door? What do you do then? Is God still overseeing all that? Does God care? Is he with me? The answer to that is yes. Yes, he is. And so he is not just by his direct spiritual presence through the Holy Spirit, but also through his people, the church, Christians, who will care for and love one another. Right? It's why our church loves to help people in need and desires to. It's why our deacons do that generously with those who are in need. It's why we support ministries that are reaching out to try to help people and where the misery of sin has beat them down. Because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we want people to see the hope and goodness and kindness of God. We also see in Scripture examples of this providence. Because I realize you may have these questions spinning in your mind. Yeah, but if God oversees everything, how do you still deal with all this wickedness and stuff? I don't have the answers for all that. What I can tell you is that the Bible says that there isn't a single molecule that is random and out of God's control. And I can also tell you that the Bible says God is not responsible for your sin. You are. And how those two fit together, we can wrestle with. But we also see the beauty of it laid out for us in Scripture and at least in a couple of places. Let me give you a couple of examples. Joseph, you may know this story, Joseph is one of many brothers, right? His brothers um, become the 12 tribes, and Joseph's two sons uh, make up uh, part of those 12 tribes of Israel. He is uh, the youngest, or at the time he's youngest, and he's got a younger brother too. But, but he um, is the one whom all the other brothers are jealous over, because Joseph is his dad's favorite, And so all the other brothers are so jealous and so sick of him, this little snot-nosed kid, that they're like, no, this isn't going to happen. So they come up with a plan. And it's a plan. It is not a good plan. Their plan is to kill him. One of the brothers says, that's a bad plan. Let's come up with a better plan. He thinks he gets a win because they say, okay, we'll just sell him into slavery, but they make it look like he's been killed and then give the father the coat that's got blood all over and everything so the father thinks he's dead and he grieves and mourns and Joseph is sold into slavery and he goes through a hard life uh, then imprisoned after that in Egypt and finally works his way up in Egypt to become prime minister basically second in command to Pharaoh because God blessed him and gave him the ability to interpret dreams and Pharaoh needed that. His brothers come to him during famine For food. They don't know it's Joseph. They just go to Egypt because that's where the food was. And finally, Joseph reveals himself and says who he is. And they're overcome. They are undone. They cannot believe that their brother is alive. And that he's the one to whom they have to go to get food to actually survive. And Joseph makes this amazing statement at the end of Genesis in chapter 50, verse 20. And he says, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, evil plans, but God's good plan, it couldn't escape the providence of God and the care for what needs to happen. Didn't excuse sin, but God still worked through it or maybe one of your favorite verses might be Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord the plans plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope recognize that statement is made to people in exile living in captivity their plan did not work out it was it went wrong and God's saying that's okay your plan has failed but my plan is better and so trust in me or what about when, when all the people shout, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" Yeah, give us Barabbas. This is a good plan. And the Son of God is crucified. Is that right or good? No, it was wrong. It was sinful by all moral evaluations. But it was part of God's plan to bring about the redemption of the world. To start making shalom come true. God works in those mysterious ways. And what I want you to understand is that when your plans don't go the way you want, it's an opportunity for you to go, huh, how is God working? Where should I be seeing the hand of God right now? Where is this divine providence? And if you look and you pray and ask God, I think you'll see it. I'm not telling you don't make plans. You should. The Bible says make plans. It says to work and make plans. Those are good. Your plans are good. Make plans. But verses 1 and 9 says, The plans of man but God. The plans of man but God. Just recognize but God. God. One of our elders likes to say, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. There's some truth in that. When we went to Bay Leaves, the lack of planning was frustrating to me because that's not the way I roll. I mean, I can't, I don't know. Anyways, it was frustrating to me. But the amount of prayer was convicting to me. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. They prayed. And there's some amazing stories that I'll save for the mission team to tell you in two weeks. But I will tell you this. Mission trips have a way of breaking you. There's a breaking point. You make plans to go. You submit an application. You attend four to five planning meetings. You've prayed. You've raised support. You've packed. You've planned for all the documents you have to bring, none of which they checked. That's not true. They checked a couple of them. you planned, you planned, you planned, and you go thinking you're going to get there and you're going to help and um, and you can't wait to help. And then you get on that old school bus that doesn't have any air conditioning, the windows sometimes work and, and mostly work, and it, that was good because air conditioning at 55 is better than at zero miles an hour. Um, you get to the place you're staying and you realize there's no AC, that your bathrooms are outside, that your showers are outside, that you sleep on a concrete floor, and you sweat when you sleep, if you sleep, until you start taking Benadryl like it's candy, so that you can sleep. All these plans. You realize the work's hard and it's hot. You sometimes wonder what good am I doing here when it seems unorganized? Your bathroom smells because you can't flush the toilet paper. You don't have access to the, to the thing that keeps you connected in life, the thing that makes you laugh, the thing that lets you know you're liked, and it's gone, and you don't have that cell phone. Everything has been stripped away. All the comforts are gone. Your place, your world is turned upside down. And you're left asking questions. Like, why am I here? And the answer is usually that God gives so that you realize that all you really ever have is me. That when all is stripped away, the one thing that remains is me. That really I'm the thing that you need more than anything else in life. It's me. He does a thing. He shows up in powerful ways. And you realize your plans are good, but limited. Because the only power that really is is from God. And that your success comes from him. So when your plans succeed or fail, whatever it is, You have to trust God. You have to trust the one who remains when all else is stripped away. Trust the one whose plans never fail. Trust the one whose grace is so amazing that it meets sinners in their worst places. Trust the one who conquered death and rose from the grave. Right? We've come to the mountain of God's salvation to Shalom, to that holy city, to Zion. He has conquered death, and I will follow him. That's the wisdom of the Proverbs. Morality matters. God gives you your atonement. Work for his Shalom. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you will help us to be people who are moved by the atonement that you provide for us. That it really would shape our morality and that we wouldn't make excuses, but we would strive with all of our being and with all the power that you supply us to do what is right, to do what is good with right reasons for good outcomes and in right ways, that you would help us to work to bring shalom to people and that we would tell people of your great love that conquers death, that overcomes our fears, and that meets us when our plans fail. Lord, drive from us all wrong desires. Incline our hearts to keep your law. Guide our feet into your ways of shalom and peace so that when we have done your will with cheerfulness during the day, when the night comes, we rejoice and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen.